Blog Talk Radio. Program. 
out of the first segment as we talk about what's going on in our world and the community. But before we get started on the segment, like always, we'd like to introduce our political panelists and analysts. So right now, we welcome everybody to Africa on the Move. And like always, if you have any views or comments that you'd like to make on a particular segment as we discuss certain issues and events, please feel free to do so by dialing in at 323-679-0841. And make sure you hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So let's get started with this party crew. Brother Haki, first I'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Moon. Brother Africa, thanks for having me, and peace to all those within the sound of my voice. My name is Haki Kamaki Mashoki, coming with African Awareness, and I'm all about institution building. Uh, you know, one of the things, Brother Africa, we talked about uh, last week, we talked about the creeping evolution of fascism in America. In fact, many would agree that fascism is not only creeping, but in fact is here. But in event, I recently read an article on Netflix, and they talked about the fact that um, Netflix made $845 million in profit, paid no taxes, and received a refund of $22 million. Now, ironically, in order to get this tax, in order, <clears throat> ironically, in order for, this, um, uh, for Netflix to receive this, this large payback, uh, one of the things that they did when they implemented this, these tax cuts uh, to give to the wealthy people, they had to ensure that the revenue would be balanced. And so what they did was they took the money from middle-income people. So those same middle-income people who, in fact, supported this tax cut for the wealthy now find themselves uh, uh, in a very difficult situation because what happened is that many of the exemptions historically they, they could have taken are no longer relevant. They can't take those exemptions. As a, as a consequence, today those same people must pay more back to the government as opposed to receiving more back from the government. So clearly, uh, this kind of uh, position that the middle class find themselves in is not particularly uh, wholesome for, in terms of prospects for the African and working class people in society. In other words, given the kind of, when we talk about the characteristics that makes up fascism, we talk about the polarity that exists in society. So we talk about the fact that it's important to pit people against one another. So clearly, this kind of disadvantage uh, that the middle income is going to face it's going to be reflected in terms of harsh attitudes for those people who are working and are poor in society, which means that it makes fascism increasingly more inevitable simply because of the kind of anger that's going to be facilitated as a result of uh, so many middle-class people actually have to pay taxes, you know, uh, this year. Um, so we need institutions in terms of understanding fundamental reality, and that if we don't have institutions to adequately think about these situations before they occur, then the moment they actually occur, there's not much we can do in terms of preventing, you know, wholesale destruction. So it's important we have institutions in terms of understanding the dynamics, understanding the situation we concretely find ourselves in, and being prepared for whatever comes down the road. So it's very interesting, this tax cuts, in terms of facilitation of fascism, and that we should be very, very aware of and very, very concerned. Thank you, Brother Haki. Now going to Brother Afton, we'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Africa. What's going on? Hey, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Uh, Revolutionary greetings uh, to our uh, guest and the fellow panelists and the listening audience. (laughs) My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objectivist Pan Africanism. 
the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony, Father Brother Anthony. We now will bring in Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, what's going on? Welcome to Africa on the Moon. While you wait for Brother Jabari, we'll come back to him. We'll go with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. Thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we come back to Brother Zabari. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, Brother Zabari, resident researcher. Looking forward to another insightful program. It's always an honor and privilege to be on here with my fellow panelists. Peace, everybody. Good, good, good. We'd like to welcome everybody. We're going to start off with our first segment on what's going on in your world and in music. Palestine has been some recent issues that have came about within the past week or so, and I'm just real curious. I'd like to get your response to it and see maybe if there's something we can learn from these these current events that recently took place. Now, the first event is this question of, I don't like this narrative, but maybe y'all can correct us, correct me. This narrative is there's a crisis in Virginia, the Democratic Party and black faces, and black facing. Now, in terms of narrative crisis in Virginia, I'm trying to figure out where's the crisis. So, panelists, maybe you can share some light on on this, the way they are painting the narrative. This crisis in Virginia, many people are calling it, is the recent um, acknowledgement that there has been politicians, the governor of Virginia, the... Um, the um, general um, attorney, attorney general, attorney general was 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 identified as participating in some form or shape or fashion of blackfacing, and there was called out about that. So there's an uproar on whether or not what should be the proper response. Should they maintain their position? To they should they resign or what have you? Along with that, the lieutenant general has been identified as being allegedly uh, having some kind of um, encounter, sexual encounter, sexual abuse allegations. One is by a former classmate and another one by one of his um, one of his workers as it relates to um, an election that took place many years ago, 50, about 20 years ago, 19, 20 years ago. So you have the lieutenant general, been accused of sexual uh, abuse, and you have the governor and the attorney general being guilty of blackfacing. Now, up to this point, some people have been calling for the resignation of all three. Now, some are calling just a resignation for, for, for just only one. And the one they're talking about the resignation for now recently seemed to be 
uh, the African lieutenant governor. They seem to want to uh, force him to resign, and if not, they're going to um, impeach him. In terms of the narrative, what is the crisis, and what did y'all make about the response in this whole issue, what has taken place around the, the so-called alleged sexual um, abuse and this question of black-facing by these politicians? Um, Brother Haki, what's your, what's your take on this? Yeah, well, the, the crisis that you talk about is not a crisis. In fact, they only use the word crisis to the extent they want to deceive people and to believe that, in fact, that the situation, the conditions in this country are fundamentally changed with respect to ethnicity. Because you now understand that the, the conflict, the, 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 the central contradiction around ethnicity hasn't changed for an iota. The only thing that has changed is the, is the form. The essence is, in fact, the same. So we talk as well about in terms of kind of racism that exists in the society and how uh, they systematically disadvantage African population in America. So that dynamic dynamic has never stopped. So this crisis that you're talking about is just to deceive people about what's really going on. But what I find extremely extraordinary, though, the fact that the whole question around, uh, you know, around blackface, uh, of course, the issue is normalized. In fact, the reason why the, the white politicians don't have a problem in terms of staying in power is because they don't fundamentally see a problem in terms of what blackface, what it really means in terms of the humanization of a people, uh, particularly based upon skin color. So they don't have a, his, a problem with that. Now, this push in terms of getting rid of the, the African guy, who's the attorney general, I mean, speaks values in terms of that very same mindset, which, is, uh, which facilitates blackface in the first place. That is the kind of racism, the pernicious racism that exists in society in which most Americans are unwilling to confront. And so, therefore, we can anticipate the kind of antagonism, kind of hostility, for the African politician is somewhat different than the level and intensity of the race of the attitude projected toward those white politicians. So we, we understand that uh, in terms of crisis, that nothing fundamental has changed in this crisis. It's not a crisis. It's just business as usual in America. Brother Zabari, what can we learn from this? What's your take on the so-called narrative of a crisis in Virginia? Well, it's hard to believe. It's interesting to use the term crisis to describe this one. We're seeing a reality that um, people don't often talk about intelligently because they use the word crisis because it makes um, this particular, the Virginia brand of capitalism look bad. But what you have to understand is that when you're talking about blackness, you're talking about a racist practice that is America's favorite pastime. Because you're talking roughly after the Civil War, a particular technique where um, Caucasian actors would use cork or some type of dark gunk to darken their face and mimic the so-called actions of Africans. So the fact that this is American pastime, until you really are prepared to deal with the history, while I don't celebrate the actions of the Attorney General and Governor engaging in the practice, until we condemn the practice as a whole, we cannot begin to have an intelligent discussion to really deal with this issue, which is why is the degradation and humiliations of um, African people America's favorite pastime? Because you got to understand, if you're going to have a discussion about this issue, you have to look at the fact that Mickey Mouse was birthed this tradition. That's one reason why he has some of the actions he does and even the white gloves that were common in minstrelsy. And we all know that's one of America's favorite pa- mascots. So until you really deal with the real issues, you're just blowing smoke. Uh, 
Okay, thank you, Zabari. Brother Anthony, what's your spin on the so-called crisis? What can we learn from it? What do you take from it? Well, what I take from it, and I concur with the points Brothers Haki and Jabari made, it is not really a crisis. It fits into a pattern that's uh, pervaded uh, U.S. history, and that is uh, the mockery of uh, of uh, people with pronounced African features. And also, there was, uh, and also, the, uh, you know, the terrorism that Africans have been subject to because someone had dressed up in a, in a, as a Ku Klux Klan member in the picture right next to, you know, to this, uh, uh, you know, uh, current governor. So, uh, so, so I think it's, uh, it's uh, symptomatic of the racism that pervades the society and, uh, and, uh, you know, the subsequent mockery of, uh, of, uh, ethnic differences that exists among the people that, uh, you know, that make up this society. And I think it is correct that the root of the problem has to be dealt with. Otherwise it'll keep occurring. And also, uh, and also the way uh, the indigenous people are disparaged uh, when, uh, when 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 their features are mocked, and uh, and their and their names are used as the names of sports teams. So I think yeah. you know. So that I think has to be dealt with in general. Thank you, brother. And brother Moses, your response to this so-called crisis in Virginia. Right. Well, I think the reason they call it a crisis is because the three top government officials for the state of Virginia uh, are being questioned as to whether or not they should continue in office or not. Um, if, if they were ousted, if all three were ousted, it would put in the Republicans, uh, uh, I think it's the House leader or something, uh, uh, would be next in line, and um, but uh, you know, but in terms of, of of everyday life in 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 the U.S. of A., uh, this is business going on as usual. There's there's the skeletons in in all these politicians' closets. Probably, uh, uh, if people dug deep enough to find them, uh, but. Uh, you know, this this is a real issue. Uh, black people have been terrorized and uh, and uh, degraded for so long that it's a favorite American pastime. And so, you know, we we have to we have to call it out as we as for what it is and point to the racism and 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 and, and uh, educate our, our people about. What, the history of this this situation and uh, go from there. Uh, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you. Brother Africa. Brother Africa. Yes, go hacky. Yes, brother hacky. Yeah, I, one of the things I find extraordinary is that one of the things that there's an old adage that you tend to mock those people which you idolize, and it's propensity to to mock or to uh, engage in blackface. In the Western world, I think it's very, very interesting. It says a lot in terms of just how much the Western world idolizes African people. 
for instance, when you talk about Prada, remember Prada came up with, with little 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 knickknacks, uh, which looked like uh, little you know little supposedly little African little African people. Uh, Gucci recently came out with a a, a somewhat uh, a piece of a pearl in which you wear, uh, which is very similar to the menstrual shows that Brother Jabari talked about, you know, back in the twenties and thirties. So this propensity in terms of you know focus on African people speaks values in terms of just how much the West idolized African people. Because otherwise, if you didn't idolize African people, there'd be no need to keep in, in their minds emulating African people in the sense that we talk about blackface or we talk about these various kind of uh, um, uh, uh, social um, inventions that exist, you know, that, that calls out, you know, one's Africanness. So I think that we've we got to begin to look at the psychological aspect in terms of why this, pre, why this preoccupied with African people. You know, um, I can I can only call one incident where actually where white folk, where, where African people, you know, uh, mimic white folks, and that was a dance uh, called the White Boy, and um, it was interesting. You know, but that was the only time I ever can recall that that, that, that African people idolized or even talked about for a pre a pre um, or so or so mesmerized. You know, by uh, you know by white folks that they can feel compelled to actually. You know, um, you know, do things, you know, to sort of highlight, you know, uh, you know, you know, the white existence. So I think that to some extent, this the psychological aspect has a lot to do in terms of motivation, in terms of the concept of esteem, in terms of, you know, it's all about black folks, which in my mind and in mind of many many psychologists has a lot to do with the fact that they idolize African people, which explains why this propensity this, this, this that for this for this this, this kind of. Uh, uh, um, uh, um, um, kind of uh, phenomenon continuing to pop up. So I, I think that uh, to some extent, I guess we can we could say, well, listen, uh, don't take it too hardly. I mean, if they idolize you, they just have a very difficult time in some of the acknowledging. You know, we've got a lot of respect for African people, so it comes out as opposed to being straightforward. It comes out in a, in a more uh, prudish, more clannish kind of way, in which the essence is saying it's all about the glorification or the respect. Or, or how much they lionize African people. So I think that, well, to some extent, we can understand this psychology, understand that you know, uh, this kind of thing will continue to persist until the Western world gets to the point where they're, where they're mature enough, uh, or confident enough to say we respect African people for who they are. So that's my position on that. You know, panelists, I'd like to get a response from y'all in terms of. There seems to be a response for those who, in top leadership of the Democratic Party, to uh, to make the Lieutenant General, the brother, the scapegoat, all of this. I find it ironic the timing of these of these events in the month of so-called African History Month or Black History Month. I find it ironic that these people didn't already knew about these events. And I find it more ironic since we're talking about the issue of blackface it looked like instead of any any kind of damages that will come from this particular is, issue will be that you will lose an uh, African politician, will lose his position as a result of allegations that have not been approved. Why do you seem to be treating one Democrat member a little different from the other two panelists? What does it mean to be an African and be a member of the Democratic Party when you look at how all this is playing out? Y'all response to that, panelists? Well, you have to understand, for 
so many years, there's been a strong propaganda campaign that's happened on both sides because history shows black people have been loyal to both sides at one point or another. Now, more recently, of course, we have switched to the Democratic Party. But there's a strong propaganda campaign where they take a hold of so-called black leadership, black celebrities, black bourgeoisie, and they use these people to keep the rhetoric going that this is going to be the party that's going to have our values and interests at heart, which is far from the truth. And thing you got to understand, just because we're in this entity and we have a certain level of the influence, it's a question that those that have the maximum influence, which are not us. So because of that, and because of the situation where their brand isn't looking good, we know that oftentimes like this, they're going to try to find a scapegoat that does not look like that who is in power. And unfortunately, the Lieutenant Governor Fairfax is falling into that position. Because the thing you got to understand, the tactic that has, that's being used against them is one that's very prevalent in terms of the Me Too movement because there have been so many others that this has happened too. In terms of allegations from years ago, they all of a sudden come to light at the most inopportune times. So you got to understand it's a strategy. Okay, Tabari, thank you for your response. Anybody else respond to that, panelists? Yes. Um, how do you how do I you wonder... actually want? How do you impeach someone, and there being no actual uh, investigation to find out if the allegations uh, are legitimate or, or, or actually occurred? Yes, brother Anthony. Yeah, I want to add that uh, that a, a, that's a consequence of our. This organization uh, Let's see uh, Let's see uh, For the last For nearly 80 years uh, Africans have been The most loyal constituency Of the Democratic Party Yet Kwame Ture pointed out years ago That we have No power in the Democratic Party whatsoever And that is because We're disorganized Every other ethnic group has a lot more power in the Democratic Party than they uh, than, 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 than Africans, and uh, and uh, and uh, this uh, latest case of uh, uh, Attorney General Fairfax is the latest example of that. Because we go into coalitions and fronts, disorganized without our own agenda and order. We fall victim to the whims of uh, 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 of uh, you know uh, of the dominant power structure, which is the ruler, uh, the European ruling class, and that is why uh, that is why there's no respect for Africans within the Democratic Party today. It seems to me if if you're gonna play by rules of the game, then you're gonna be judged by that same by that same game. Um, um, you're gonna be judged by the rules of that same game. So it seems to me that you have this this brother, you know, um, in positions of power. Keep in mind that the Democrat by no by no stretch of imagination means that is not um, saturated with racism. Of course, the Democratic Party is saturated with racism. I mean, it's no fundamental difference between Republicans and Democrats. Democratic racism is just more benign, just just more benevolent. Um, it comes across as somewhat softer in terms of you know it's racism, but racism nonetheless. So we shouldn't fool ourselves to thinking that in terms of when the opportunity avails itself for racism to to reveal itself, that the people those 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 individuals you know uh, who are part of that body 
or won't come ratification to actually uh, espouse their racism, albeit although they're not going to blatantly say, you know, words couched in terms that's clearly racist, but clearly the intent is one of racism. And that's based upon in terms of the diverse treatment in terms of African people versus white people. So clearly, uh, you know, so he plays his game. And like, like Brother said, one of the things we have to do, until we come together and begin to identify what our interests are and understand our interests are separate and apart from the interests of America, until we do that, we continue to play by their rules. And as long as we continue by that rule, why would they respect you? They wouldn't because you're essentially playing their, playing their game. So why would they respect you? They wouldn't. Uh, why wouldn't they continue to abuse you? They, of course, they continue to abuse you because you're playing, part of, you're playing their game. So the intelligent thing to do that even if, if you're going to be in a, in that structure, you have to understand you, you, that you have a great deal of limitations in terms of what you can do and can't do, and understand that the future lies in terms of those structures outside of those parties in terms of empowering African people in the society. So I think that he, you know, he, 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 he you know, he, he, I'm not saying that he got what he deserved, but I'm saying that if you're going to play by the rules of the game, then you can understand that, you know, the rules of those games are not the same. And uh, those those rules are vastly different when it comes to to, to skin color. So unfortunately, that's the that's the bottom line. And until we get organized, until we begin to understand the nature of the beast, until we begin to think in terms of self determination, in terms of desire for autonomy, uh, we can continue to be um, uh, used and abused at every turn. Well, I find it very interesting lack of response from the so-called black elite and the black political class as it relates to. Um, whether or not they need to voice their opinion on these these issues, most of them have been quiet, and a f- and a few have spoken. Most of them have you have 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 spoken in a manner of being very um, forgiving and being uh, apologetic to to the two Europeans in terms of saying, well, you know, that was many years ago, maybe, you know, maybe they had a chance to give them, give them a break. But when it comes to someone who looks just like them, they are all on board of wanting him to resign. I find that particular behavior real disturbing at two, in 2019, where African people still don't see the importance of to unite and to support one another when it comes to functioning in this political system. I find that real amazing. But anyway... Be there as many panelists. We only have a few minutes left. I would like to get your response on a real crisis. I think this is even worse than a crisis. But anyway, I'd like to get your response to this to this phenomenon. Uh, reading the article uh, earlier, the actual was, was was published in July 2014 um, by um, News One, and the title of the article is "64,000 Black Women Currently Missing in the U.S." Um, there are currently 64,000 black women missing in the United States. Natalie Wilson, co-founder of the Black and Missing Foundation, and Ava Joan DeWeaver joined Roland Biden Thursday on News 1 to discuss this effort to bring more awareness to missing women of color. Now, this was basically we talked about a little more than four years ago. 64,000 African women in this country is missing. And there's no no one's paying attention to this. What do y'all make of this reality? Now, this is more than a crisis. What do you make of this analysis, the analysis of this phenomenon, Brother Anthony? Here you have 64, over 64,000, and that's probably an understatement. 
What is going on, Brother Anthony, when you hear something of what is, a, a magnitude? Uh, that that magnitude means that uh, it, that that means that uh, that our enemies are taking uh, advantage of our disorganization, our lack of uh, collectivism, because I'm pretty sure the families of those women are very concerned about what happened to them. And uh, either they don't know, or they try to go at go at it individually instead of, uh, you know, uh, really trying to band together to protect each other. And uh, we get caught up in trying to play uh, play the same games that Europeans play, instead of trying to, uh, you know, look out for one another instead of competing. Uh, you know, again, uh, uh, you know, against each other, and uh, and uh, and and uh, we and we do not build the kind of support mechanisms that 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 would protect each other from this kind of uh, you know these kind of atrocities. And until we get sufficiently organized, that we have to the point where we have each other's back. This is going to continue to happen because uh, because uh, too many of us buy into the rugged individualism sort of uh, mythology. Where, uh, but instead of uh, you know realizing that uh, that 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 in this beast we're, we're we're in it together, and that we have to find ways to work together in spite of our differences. Brother Haki. To have one segment of a community where you have six four thousand or more women of a particular group comes up missing and nothing is said about this, that seems to indicate a whole lot of things are going lacking. What are we lacking here, Brother Haki, to allow the condition to exist in the first place? I think fundamentally we're talking about uh, the value of life. And this, in this court, in this particular situation, we talk about the value of African women lives. And so, therefore, the life, their lives are not valued. And so their disappearance is somewhat, as far as the power structure is concerned, unproblematic. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we as communities should find it unproblematic. And on the, on the, on the, we, should, we should very much find it problematic, the fact that 64,000 African women simply disappeared. And one of the things that uh, would have what is uh, a commonplace in society is that we have a situation where uh, people are often um, sold into bondage and um, slavery, bondage, and so forth. Uh, we have the situation, and so to the extent that that may be a factor in terms of disappearance of 64,000 women, nobody knows simply because there's no information uh, kept on the disappearance of people, in particular when it comes to African people. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, though, the problem in terms of disappearing, people disappearing in America it's, it's, a, it's an old story. Uh, it's relatively new to the African masses. And to the extent I think Brother Anthony is right, it has a lot to do in terms of the values that we hold as community in terms of our unwillingness to understand that we own this together. And so, therefore, if we understand we own this together and we see something that's fundamentally wrong, then we, we would be in a position to actually, you know, possibly prevent, you know, a lot of bad things happening to women. Uh, but until we come to the realization that, you know, we own this together, then we simply see things in a piecemeal fashion in which, you know, the disappearing African women are not necessarily a priority 
for the African community. So that has to change. But it's not going to change unless we philosophically understand that we're all in this together. Brother Bobby, your take on this phenomenon? You have over 64,000 African women missing in this country. You know, one of the things I thought about when I read this article, I'm saying it's consistent when looking at the conditions of African people around the world. Throughout African countries and stuff, you'll find this phenomenon going on. Who could be the corporate? What's the motivation behind this? But your response in general, Brother Jabari, what you make of this phenomenon? You know, unfortunately, um, the the amounts may differ, but time to time you hear of stories like this where African persons in mass end up going missing. As a matter of fact, I was told by one of my aunts a story that my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, used to share about where she grew up um, in um, the Stony Creek area of Virginia. That many of her peers, they had to be careful when they would um, go out to certain parts of their neighborhood because if they venture out by themselves, there's a chance that something would happen where they would be never to be seen or heard from again. And when you look at the history and narrative, there have been proven cases where you look at um, black people have been taken um, hostage for a variety of reasons, whether they're trafficked, their body parts used for organs or experimentation. So there's a number of different options as to why these type of phenomena occur. So you can understand that this is a very bad trend that until we take control of it ourselves, it's going to continue to happen because we can't depend on anybody but ourselves to remedy the situation because those who are in power are apathetic to this, unfortunately. Okay, Brother Moses, you'll take on the phenomenon, Brother Moses. Right, what else, Brother Moses? Okay, we're coming back to Brother Moses, and what we're going to do right now, panelists, um, we're going to pause for this cause. When we come back, we're going to go into our theme tonight. We have a presidential candidate from South Sudan going to be coming up in the next few minutes. He's going to be giving us his perspective of who he is, the road that he has traveled, and the future of a South Sudan. You got to listen to Africa on the Move. We're going to pause for this cause, and when we come back, we're going to have presidential candidate Bo Gardine from Sudan who will come to us live in living color as we talk about this whole question of his history of struggle and the making of a South Sudan. You got to listen to Africa on the Move. We're going to pause for this cause, and we'll be right back. Oh. 
you where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind denomination That is only segregation You're an African Cause if you go to the Catholic So don't you where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African That's right, welcome back to Africa on the Moon Don't you not forget it, no matter where you come from As long as you're a black man or woman You are African We are welcoming you back to Africa on the Moon We're going to begin our second segment of this program We'll deal with our theme for today which is we have a presidential candidate. We have Brother Bo Gardine from being enslaved to liberation. This is a history of struggle and the history of the development of a South Sudan. We have with us a very special young man who running as a presidential candidate for the country South Sudan. He can come and share his struggle, his history, his life with us, and hope that we can use it as a tool to learn more about Africa, African people's struggles and movements, and help push all our people humanity forward. This is his story and his perspective. So right now, we'd like to welcome Brother Presidential Candidate Bo Gardeen to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Dean, to Africa on the Moon. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Bob Africa, and for inviting me uh, tonight. I hope you heard me. Yes, we can. Uh, He's loud and clear. Yes, indeed. So I just want to thank the uh, finalists, and I want to thank the program and the initiative that have been made to move the African uh, forward. And I'm so grateful to be here tonight with my brothers and sisters and the audience and the initiative of the program that give us a platform where we can be able to share the issues that matter to our people around the world uh, and the crisis that the people are going through. So my name is Bolgai Deng. Uh, I'm from uh, South Sudan. Uh, very much uh, Sudan, for South Sudan got independent in 2011. I've been at war, and I was exactly a slave. as a young boy, seven years old, but uh, in 19... 78, where I was able to manage to escape in the slavery. My uh, village was attacked by the Arab militants, uh, called them Mujahideen, or Marhalin in uh, Arabic. And then, uh, three years later, I was able to manage. I found my way to Khartoum, the city of the capital of Sudan. Uh, and then from there, I was able to welcome by the uh, different organization, Catholic Charity. I went to school there. I was able to speak Arabic. Sooner or later, it was a tragic that the Sudan made uh, a system in which we not allowed Africans to be free in the, in the capital, that Sudan must be an Arab and Islamic state, that Sudan have to be ruled by Sharia law. And uh, Osama bin Laden was invited, and then from there in 1998, I, I ran away. I found myself in Egypt, and I come to the United States 
the United States in 1999. I was in Ponsa here, and I reside in Virginia, Richmond, Virginia. Went to school, graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University. Sooner or later, I realized that I became active in the community in different organizations, a student organization, the uh, NAACP, the African organization, a student. Sooner they opened me up to work in different organizations, various organizations, to fight for the struggle of people of Sudan, the indigenous people of Sudan at the time. Uh, at that point, I, will, I came to be aware about the problem of the Sudan because I came here with zero English. I never been in a school in my life until I was introduced in a school only in Arabic. In 2011, we got independent. The indigenous people of South Sudan got independent from the Sudan. They, they are not going to be Arabs. They are African. They have to live African. They have to die African. They took armed struggle against the regime of Khartoum for more than 21 years that gave us independence in 2011. Now I become a candidate for the country because the country is in a crisis that the leadership made their own uh, crisis when we got independent. Uh, the leadership of South Sudan also created their own vacuum of the tribal line and the clan uh, politics and the identity politics that have been created by the leadership in South Sudan that made me to step up to bring the people of South Sudan, indigenous people, African together, a unified effort to move forward with pan-Africanism, that our people are just one. They have the same culture, the same interests, and the same enemy. That made me to become a candidate in 2017. We pushed for election, and the president, when he learned that I was gaining momentum in the ground, I have 90% supporting me. He postponed election recently, but we're still pushing for him now in these days to step down. That a little bit about what I'm doing, and the people of South Sudan and the people of Africa are behind the campaign that I'm doing, and I'm so glad that I'm here tonight to share. Uh, the mission and the struggle and the history with you. And uh, thank you so much, uh, my brother, uh, Africa. And I'm here to listen. You know, Brother Dean, can you explain to your people what is the political party that you will be run, you will be representing? What is its history? How it was started? What's it goals? How do you, you know? How do you view this whole question of? Um, uh, moving um, Sudan forward, Africa in, in general? Uh, the political party was formed in 2014 uh, and it was named after we realized that the, our history had been destroyed by the Arab invaders and the Kush, as uh, the history of the black people, was invaded. As most of you may be aware, the Kushite are the Nilotic African. And also, you must be aware that the Kush was the first nation in Africa, and the Kush actually was the first oldest civilization. And that means that when Sudan was invited, the Kush was invited, and Kush actually referred to more than three names, Nubia, Ethiopia, and the Kush. And then actually when Arab invaded the country, changed the names from the Kush, Nubia, to Ethiopia, to Sudan. Sudan it means the land of black people in Arabic. And that actually we realized that we need to b bring back our history, 
our culture, our artists, and we went back and formed a party called Christian Democratic Majority Party. The Christian Democratic, Christian means the historical African people. That's what it means, the black people. And the Democratic, we believe that in order for us to move forward, we must have a democratic system in which we will give a leader a time limit in the office. Because what we learn in Africa, we've been challenged by authoritarian individuals who always govern without leaving and frustrate the community by training the military and the security and the police to protect them when the people don't want them. So we believe that the African people must have power to remove the leadership and bring the leadership that in, leadership that may work for their interests. That's why we decide to name it as a democratic. And then majority. Majority means the indigenous people of Africa. We, we're majority, but we've been taught to be minority. According to John Ennard Clark, said that we are actually taught to be minority when we are majority. We believe that in order for, in Sudan, we call ourselves the marginalized people of Sudan. And we should not be marginalized in our own country, where we are 85% African, and the Arab are 15%. We come along with the majority name that we are the majority of the, of the country, and we should not allow ourselves to be oppressed by 15% of Arabs. So that's how we come along with the majority, and we believe that the majority, so it means the African people, it means the indigenous people of the Sudan, and when we got independent in 2011, we left our indigenous also in the north, in other regions called Belunel and Nuba Mountain and Abia and Darfur. All these are the African origin. And because they are not able to go with us based on the geographical, that the Arab dominate or control the land, they were able to stay in the north. And we believe also we have a fight. We have, we have to fight to actually liberate them from the north so they can realize their dream as African. They can move forward with the African brothers and sisters. That's how the name has come about. Okay, Brother Dean, you know, many people, when they look at Sudan historically, they will see African people where the brothers and sisters, they all look, they look alike. But yet there is an issue around how can slavery take place among people who look alike and from the same family. So what I'm really asking you is to explain to our listening audience how you define what is an African and what is an Arab. How do you distinguish between the two? Uh, actually, um, let me take you back a little bit. Sudan actually very much has been in slavery go back to more than 2,000 years. And actually when Sudanese realized that the slavery is not about to stop in 1800. I would say 1881. Actually, there was a concern within the Sudanese community that the Arab elites, they were actually investing in slavery. They were using slavery as a business. Sudan had been the market of slavery in the world, in Africa, and the various towns of Sudan, actually, there were auction of the slavery. They used to sell the people in their time our people actually resist against the slavery for longest time. And sooner or later, that resistance turned to armed struggle. And that armed struggle started in 1950. And sooner or later, they were deceived, the Africans deceived again. And then they fight back again in 1970. And sooner or later also, they started again in 19, 
1980 to identify the Africans and the Arabs, you got to understand the indigenous who never mix with any race. They're still Africans and Adam and Eve. They never have attached themselves to any race that are light skinned. They're just indigenous. They're actually blacks. Sometimes even they're black until they turn blue because they're the Nile Valley people. They live in the Nile Valley. I would say people like Roma in Ethiopia and people in Sudan, indigenous. Uh, you call Nuba, Nuba Mountain and Blue Nile and Darfur and, and, and South Sudan. All of these actually are indigenous, are the people of the land. And it can be traced back to 300 BC at the time when the Kushat, the most powerful kingdom in the Nile Valley, in one time government uh, was actually ruled the Egypt, the Mediterranean, the Palestinians. So you can see these people have been actually protecting their own identity. But the, those who actually have been brainwashed Arab, they are light skin, and they never accept the Africanism. They actually forcing African indigenous against their will. And most importantly, in order for you to know who they are, they are very much believe in Islamic faith, and they don't believe in African culture. And another way to understand also, they lost the African mother tongue because they don't speak African language, only speak Arabic. And they actually obey to the Arabic culture, which means sometimes they wear a job, they wear Arab uh, clothes and the Arab culture. And the Arab. These are the people who are so anti-black and anti-African that made our people because so concerned that our people in the country, they were not living as a citizen, but they, living, they were dehumanized and live as a slave in the country. Well, in the country, in the daytime, slavery is still going on in the country. That's how you can define between the African and the Arabs. They don't, they don't speak African language. They don't even respect African culture. They, don't, they actually associate with the Middle Eastern, who is actually very much, they work with the Colorado projects. They work with the Arab leagues. They associate with Saudi Arabia. They associate with Egyptian. They associate with the Northern African. And they associate with... Arabia Peninsula. That's how you can identify them. Most of them, they would not love to visit uh, Kenya, neither Ethiopia, neither South Africa. A lot of them always try to be loyal to their actually slave masters. Because also the Sudanese African, Arab, basically, they are also doing what they call the Arab project. We call them the John Baptist of the Arabs. Because if you want to go to the Bible, John Baptist was actually uh, was coming to clear the road for Jesus to come. But what happened was exactly what the Arab are do, Arab Sudanese are doing, they're clearing the way for the Arab to, for the, for Arab settlement in Africa. That was their job. They have been assigned by the Arab League to do that. That's why they will never accept the African people. Okay, Brother D, when we talk about this question of unification of Africa, and one of the things we got to deal with real critically is as we alluded to, historically speaking, uh, Nkrumah made an assessment uh, historically looking at the evolution of, of Africa and its people. And one of the things I've just paraphrased, he stated that they are being basically um, your traditional African, you have your Euro-Christian African influence, and you have your Arab-Islamic uh, African or African influence. But looking at these very forces that came into play and presence this, on this land base that we call Africa, 
what we got to do is forge these kind of un, uh, uh, realities into a reality where we can function as one. How do you see yourself playing a role or uniting Africa with all of these these uh, realities that Africa is dealing with as relate around this whole question of, 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 of a people identity? Uh, well, you need to understand the ideology of the African people and the ideology of those type of individuals. What do they believe in? What do they want? And you also you have to see the African ideology. What do they want? The individual that I describe actually they feel that they are superior to the African people. That's number one. And also the superior because they can enslave Africans and they can own Africans. That's how the superiority come in. The Africans, on the other hand, they are not willing to slave anybody. And the Africans are not invaders. And every time you find a situation where the Africans are in, they have been invaded or abused or some are coming, but the Africans never took an armed army or soldiers or any military to invade other people's land. The immigration of Africans from the northern part all the way to the southern part, it has been the invasion that has been constantly going on in North African part all the way Sudan today, all the way to Mali now struggle, and Nigeria is struggling, and Niger is struggling, and Cameroon is struggling, and Central Africa is struggling, the same ideology. So you can see that these people actually have been pushed to push African away from the motherland or from the, from the continent. So in order for us to move forward as African uh, people and United African, we've got to identify the interests. What interests do they serve? And when the interest African people want to solve, yes, indeed, we want to unite. But we want to make sure that in order for us to unite, we need to identify the root cause of the problem of Africans. What are the root causes? Yes, the root causes are slavery. Depopulating African people by taking their people away from their land and sold them to market, to slavery. That is a problem. That is a crime against humanity. So we believe that until we identify the problem of these individuals, what do they want and what do, what do they serve, I think we are going to move forward. And I believe also the unity of African will come through the African people because the African are the one owning the land. The African belong to the continent. And I think if African unite understand the problem, I think they can unite uh, the, con- the continent. And I, don't, and I believe the, the, United States of Af- the, the United States of Africa is essential and it could be done. But also in order for us to do that, we need to identify the, the ideology of these individuals. And they are minorities. They are not majority, by the way. They are just minority. But they're making trouble because they connect with the Western world, they connect with Chinese, they connect with Russia, and they give the, they get the gun from the, those individuals. Brother Jean, as a presidential candidate, and you're looking at the very institutions that exist in Africa, such as the Organization of African Unity, you look at the United Arab League. Those are two major institutions that are having an impact on Africa. How do you view the impact and the role that these two institutions are playing as relates to moving Africa forward? What is your assessment on the function and the role, and how do you view their present situation as relates to African people um, problems and the future of Africa development? Uh. 
let me start with the uh, let's uh, let's start with the African Union. The African Union vision to unite the African and to uh, actually they have hand up without having a mission. They have no objectives to move the African people forward. The African organization is an organization without teeth. They have no say when it comes to the crisis that are taking place in Africa. They have no position when it comes to the war in South Sudan, neither a war in Sudan. They never have a position when it comes to war in Central Africa. They have no interest to protect the African people. The only thing they can do, they can serve the interests of outsiders. That is the mission of African Union. And the African elite, they actually very much was working for the interests of outsiders, not the African people. Because when the leaders stay for more than 40 years in the leadership, you always put yourself in a position where you become insecure and you try to appoint your clan and your nephews and your cousin to be the leader of the country. What makes you vulnerable to the people of Africa who actually sometimes they may not like you? But in order for you to stay in power for more than 40 years, you've got to associate with outside to protect you. That has been the issue of African head of the state that has been going on for more than 70 years since the independent of African people, uh, countries. When it comes to the Arabs, on the other hand, the Arab actually, the Arab League is not, it was not, is not formed to serve the African people. It was formed to serve the Arab League and the Arab interests. And the Arab League actually, their intention is to invade the Africa, to actually recruit the African countries to be a part of the Arab League, where they can actually, one way or another, can control the African resources and the African human resources so they can be able to confront the Western wall or the challenge they can face for another because they're competing also for superpowers. They want to be the next superpower too, the Arab League. So the Arab League, in order for us to achieve that, they need to engage the African that they see they can invade. And the good example is Somalia. Somalia was recruited to the Arab League after they realized that they all converted to Islam and they are Muslim 100%. And then they recruited to be a part of the Arab League. Another good example, I would say, is Djibouti. Djibouti has been a struggle. Now it has been recruited to be a part of the Arab League and no longer actually obeying to be a part of the African Union. So the recruitment of the Arab League by recruiting the nation like Sudan, let's say the example is Sudan and South Sudan today, because Sudan has been a part of the Arab League by a paper, but the people of South Sudan refuse not to be a part of the Arab League because South Sudanese believe the African, they should be a part of the African, African Union. Regardless, the African Union have, have no values. It cannot represent the interests of African people. They believe we still could be black in that organization. But you cannot take me to Arabic where actually I don't look like those people. So you can see the Arab, Arab League intention is to invade the Africa and collaborate with the China and the rest of the world when they can be able to actually invade the African and actually depopulate the African population where African will, will not have a chance to live in the continent, but they can find a way to be exiled so they can call themselves African diaspora. Like we are now in diaspora. So this is the reality, and the good example has been going on in Libya right now. The Libya now will become a slave market where actually you can go and buy a young adult black man for 400 U.S. dollars. 
Another situation with the crisis in the Mediterranean Sea where our young people are running away from the continent because they are not safe, they're running towards the Europeans so they can be protected in France and also Italy and Germany and so on. These are the issues that actually made by the Arab League. Arab League made the African to be African continent to be in a stable where people cannot find a safety place. And that's why they create what they call Boko Haram in Nigeria. Boko Haram was trained by the, by the Northern African when they can destabilize the Nigeria and they can kidnap the, the student in, in a school and they can terrorize the Nigeria where actually people will not be able to visit Nigeria because Nigeria actually is still in, in, in crisis. They create that and they created by the Arab League, especially the Saudi Arabia put a big fund money on that. As well, the uh, Arab Emirates have done that. Qatar have done the same thing. And the same thing in Somalia, the Shabab in Somalia, was also organized by the Arab League so they can destabilize the East African region. They've been, that's why you see an attack in Kenya, you see an attack in, in, in Uganda, and many others. And the Khartoum government is the agent of this organization to make sure the Khartoum government, as the Arab as they've been assigned as the Arab project, want to make sure that the African people will not have security when they can be able to come together and build Africa continent. Yes, indeed, the Arab League is a threat to African people, and the African Union also have no teeth to stand up for the African people. And basically, to make you this, the, the some Arab League are controlling the African Union that the one can make a decision in the Union, and also that the center make, make a decision in, in, in Arab League, and the most important, two organizations have been set in the same continent because the Arab League headquarters is in Egypt and the African Union is Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. So you cannot have two organizations in the same continent with different interests because the different interests they serve, they don't serve the African interests, they serve the, our, the Arab interests. And that has become the problem of African that brought a tragedy in Africa country. You know, Brother Dean, uh, as a presidential candidate, when you begin to look at African history and the problems of who are African enemies and who are African friends, one will come to ask, you, ask the question, when you look at the primary enemies, you know, if once the Arabs is the African primary enemies, how could they justify that as in relationship to the West? Has the West caused more damage? When I say the West, I'm talking about U.S. and, and Europe. Has it caused more damage and continue to cause more harm to African people development and forward movement than those that you may well consider as as in the camp in the Arab camp? How would you contrast the two forces in terms of making your analysis of the primary enemy, maybe versus a secondary enemy? You know. Um Thank you for that question. Actually, you already see the enemy that live with you in the same room. You have a lion in your house, and you have another lion outside. What would you confront? Is the lion that is still in the backyard, or the lion that live with you in the room? I believe that the lion in the room that I have to confront before the lion that live in the backyard. To this statement, I believe the Arabs are the problem, are the, they live with us in the same rooms. And I consider the lion who live in the same room with us. And they become, they done a great damage because they live with us. They done a great damage because they participate in slavery. And by the way, 
Then some Arab who introduced their slavery to the Western world. In fact, the African leaders ignored the reality. There's some Arab actually who very much enslaved more than millions, eight million, and most of them went to Arab finance and did not survive. All of them were killed, castrated, and walked to free labor until they died. They were not allowed to have babies. So you can actually understand that the same people actually they have no apology to African people, neither in Arab leagues, to apologize what they have done during the slavery time. So and until now there's still slavery going on in in Sudan, and the slavery going on in Mauritania. Who are those actually enslaving these people? At the same Arab, the same slavery going on in Libya. Who are doing it? At the Arab Libyans are doing it. So you can understand the, that our problem that we need to com- confront is the lion that's still in our house. Recently, if you could see what is going on, Egypt becomes so active in Africa because Egypt want to control the Nile Valley. Egypt is the one actually people of Africa from South Africa to Rwanda to Tanzania to Uganda to Ethiopia to South Sudan. They have to take permission from Egypt in order to use the water of the Nile Valley. Nile that run from the south to the north. How can Egypt have so power to control the water we share by the more than six countries in East Africa? It can tell you exactly this is the issue we need to confront our African people. Another form we need to confront, and I believe we should, is that the participation of the Arab League and the North Africa in our organization having two memberships. Egypt participate in both memberships. Egypt is the one hosting the Arab League in, in, in Cairo. And the same Egypt is a part of the African Union. You cannot serve two masters. You got to serve one. So when we allow the African, North Africans, who are not African, who don't work for African interests in the African Union, that is a threat to the African Union. And we need to identify those in order for us to move forward. And I think these issues need to be addressed. Recently, I want to tell you this, we have what they call World Cup. And the World Cup is something that has to be owned by the world uh, uh, community called uh, people. And actually, most America don't understand because it's a, it's a soccer. They call it football in Africa. Actually, the African continent got to have the request to bring uh, five teams. And these five teams, they have to come from the continent every four years. Actually, in these days, around reason, in this last cup, actually, there were more three countries in Africa and North Africa come to the World Cup who do not look like Africans, who look yellow. They are representing Africa, and they don't serve African interests. And our youth, who are supposed to come out of Africa, they were rejected because the Arabs have to come through back door. They're supposed to go to the Asian uh, continent to represent the Asian continent, which actually includes Saudi Arabia. And, 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 and Qatar and Yemen and so on, and North Korea and Japan and um, China. They're supposed to be a part of that organization, but actually they come through the back door by having team representing people that don't look like us. And that will tell you that if you have a country, more than three countries to represent Africa, and they don't look like Africans, what they tell you with the Western invasion and our struggle with the, uh, the, the Western and the European, now struggle with the Arabs. 
you already see that the Arab world invade more land in Africa, and they live within the land, and they have not respect for the black people. And so in our safety as black people, of African people, we have to do, address this issue. And this needs to be addressed by the African Union. But the African Union has been controlled by the same people that I'm talking to you about it. They are not going to have a solution or discuss the interests of African people because the African leaders are so afraid of the Arab more than they can be afraid of the white man. And this is the reality. And the European, at this point, they are not living in Africa. They cannot bring more than t uh, three teams in Africa. Uh, they have no, actually, basketball team, in European team in Africa, but we have Arab team in Africa who don't deserve to be there. And they don't represent Africa either. And they don't work for African interests. So these are the realities that we need to discuss and bring to the table, have a dialogue among one another in order for us to move forward. And these are the issues that I think that move the African backward, not forward. Hi, listen to audience. Listen to Africa Remove. We have our presidential candidate, Bro Gadin. He's from South Sudan. He was at one time um, enslaved and he was able to leave his home from Africa. He ended up in America, still fighting to return back home to help liberate his people. He's shared his views and his ideas and his experiences as being an organizer and a freedom fighter. Um, for his people, and we'd like for you to join in with us when we come back to talk about his struggles, talk about the reality of South Sudan, and the whole question of how can Africa move forward. We're going to take a station break, and when we come back, feel free to call 323-679-0841 and hit 1, and we'll acknowledge your question or comments. So we're going to pause for this call, and we'll be right back with our brother. And he was taken from 
to um, presidential candidate who has reigned and who's continued to run for the president of South Sudan. He's a young man. His name is Bo Ding. He was once captured in his own home in Sudan. Yes. Yes. Um, I have a brother Ding. Uh, I have a, a couple of questions. Um, how uh, about the history of your uh, political party, the Kush Democratic Majority Party? Um, how did it uh, get uh, uh, get its name? Uh, from my, my understanding, Kush is, consists of what is presently known as Somalia and uh, part of what is uh, uh, called Aromia or Ethiopia. Uh, do you want me to answer that? Yes, Brother If you could, please. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, actually, yes. Uh, Kush actually basically... Um, Historically, uh, the um, Kush is very much is the today Sudan, not the Somalia, not the Ethiopia. Ethiopia basically it was also the same name as Kush. Uh, and actually, in order for you to uh, identify the location, you got to trace it back to Egypt. Uh, historically, biblically, they will tell you that the Nubia. Uh, Kush or Ethiopia is in southern Egypt, not the eastern Egypt. Ethiopia today is in eastern Egypt. But the, the Kush that they talk about historically in the history of the Kush today, which is Sudan, is the South Sudan today. Because actually, uh, Ali Selassie, somewhere in 1930, uh, when he took the power, uh, he learned that the African people are about to lose the history. So the Ethiopia today, it was Abyssinia and at the name. So Ali Selassie, as a pan-Africanist, is sharing the Abyssinia to the Ethiopia today. But actually, the Ethiopia today was not the Ethiopia back then. The Ethiopia back then, it was the Sudan today, it was the Kush today, and to historical. So that's why you always, uh, and also there was the most powerful civilization town, which is the Morawi. And Morawi, the location is in Sudan. Uh, and actually with the capital of the Kush. And when the invasion took place, actually the Morawi was changed to Khartoum. The Khartoum today, it was a reference to Morawi in the, in, in the civilization time. So the civilization started in the Kush land in the East African, and that's why mostly the Ali Selassie was conscious enough to adopt the 
He knew that the African are about to lose the history, and he took that history used for his own good. And that's why we have to do it today. Okay. Um, I have another question. What is the, um, uh, let's see, what is the, uh, it, uh, 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 can you discuss the ideology of the uh, Kush Democratic Majority Party? Uh, uh, what were its ideological influences, in other words? And does it identify with other Pan-Africanist forces? And yes. uh, what... Yeah, I'll stop there. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. okay. Uh, the Quick Democratic is a Pan-African organization, number one. Quick Democratic believe in rule of law, constitution, patriotism, based on the African interest and traditional and the culture and serve the African people. And we believe in ethic, governmental, zero corruption, and zero discrimination among the Africans. Because what happened in the African continent alone, I want to share this with you. Every leadership that took place in Africa always used excuses of tribal line by discriminating their own tribe of African tribes. If you become a head of the state, you always discriminate, you always try to be bullied to the minority of African. If you are a majority, you are bullied to the minority one. That has been the systematic of the African leadership which brought about crisis, which give the vacuum to the outsider to take advantage of the continent. So we believe discrimination among the Africa is not acceptable. We should feel we're African, we are black, we have the same common interest, we have the same common enemy, we have the same common destiny as the vision of the Pan-Africanism. We believe in that. Also, we believe that we actually need to empower our people economically by actually having our own markets. Business has to be controlled by the Africans. We also believe in our, of the agricultural revolution in Africa, in South Sudan that we have to engage our people agriculture because land of South Sudan is the richest land in Africa. Have been described the best kid of the African. The South Sudan can feed entire Africa because it was the garden of Aden, according to the Bible. For most of you who may know this, refer to the Kush. Kush was the garden of Aden when Adam and Eve lived in the Nile Valley. So those kind of historical facts I still remain in South Sudan today. So as a land that could serve the African people. We believe agriculture is very important to engage our people agriculturally. And mostly, which is our number one and two and three and four and five. And you can go to the website of Quick Democratic Majority Party, you will find this information I'm talking about. It's strengthening the industrial uh, companies in our, to be able to make our own uh, cars and our own uh, sword and our own actually. Uh, clothes, an African way of, of dressing, because we have to make our own clothes when we can be able to attract the other nation. Uh, the clothes that we wear are good as your clothes. That's what we are going to work and make it happen. And most importantly, which is our number six in the, in the website, is human rights issue. The African people are concerned about the humanity, because African leaders never put the humanity of African people first. They put the human African people in the last. That's why when you find the 
the leadership of Africa, whether in Zimbabwe, whether in, in Congo, whether in Cameroon, whether in Djibouti, whether in Nigeria, whether everywhere in Liberia, whatever, you always find the leadership always trained the military to be the enemy of these people, training the police to be the enemy of the people, training the security to be the enemy of the people. We believe that indeed we need to put our humanity of our people first by respecting the African humanity. That has been one of the things that number six. And also we believe also number seven, which is actually in the website, is to connect ourselves with the African diaspora because our diaspora community are the good assets to go to Africa and help for the, for the bottom of the African country. African people cannot do it alone. They need the African skills. People in Latin America, in Caribbean, in the United States, in where we need them to be engaged in how we can connect and build a better African continent. That has been in the website in our mission. And how can we do that? We do that by engaging diplomats who are going to serve as the embassies across the world to work with the African community directly, to engage them, that you have a right to invest and work in Africa. That's why the, our representatives and embassies, they will do and they will make a role to, to play a big role on that. And also the United Nations, people who are going to represent in the UN and the United Nations, they're going to push this agenda to make sure that our diaspora community, they need to engage with us. And lastly, which is number nine in the website, is that we believe in pan-Africanism, that the unity of African people is very important. We need to be able to share our struggle. We need to be able to educate our people about the slavery, not only in the continent today, also in what happened in 400 years ago, what happened? We need to actually identify these issues. If you go to Africa today, they don't know about Martin Luther King, neither they know about Malcolm X, neither they know about anybody, neither they know about Marcus Garvey, or neither they know about any other leaders, or neither Mandela. So these are the issues that we need to make sure that we need to teach our own children for their own history and our own struggle. And we believe in that pan-Africanism. As long as we are going to produce for our own safety, it's very important to do for our own safety, to have history, to have education that institution is based on our understanding, that something that could benefit our citizens, our citizens can realize their own potential. That are the mission that we are focused on in the quick democratic majority party have been the mission, and we put them in front, and our people actually got the idea now that why they're young, the quick democratic party, and 90% now are believing in the quick democratic party. And also, most importantly, we believe in the United States of Africa. And the United States of Africa will not just come or gradually will come when we set up institutions that teach us how to move forward as African people to have the United States of Africa. And in order to do that, we need to unite the indigenous people of Sudan, which are the Kushites. We actually believe we can bring the United States of Kush in Sudan. And that United States of Kush will embrace the United States of Africa. That is the vision we set it up. We are working on it. We're going to change the name, name South Sudan because it's not our name. It's Arab name. We're going to change it to the United States of Kush, which actually will attract our people in the Africa to know that we are about to establish the foundation of our historical fact, and now we are moving forward to stand up and liberate Africans from the invaders. Hey, thanks for sharing that. Thanks. Hey, hey Brother Dean, before I go to Brother Haki, one of the panelists, I would like to you to speak to the issue. When you say Pan-Africanism, there are different concepts of Pan-Africanism. Could you define to our list audience what do y'all mean by Pan-Africanism 
And is socialism a major component of Pan-Africanism from your perspective? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, thank you, Brother Africa, for asking me that question. Uh, based on the uh, of the Pan-Africanism philosophy uh, by the uh, so-called uh, the founding fathers of the Pan-Africanism, which include uh, Kwame Kuma and Marco Garvey and many others, uh, very much uh, that Pan-Africanism very much has their own mistakes. They did not achieve what they thought that they're gonna do. The Pan African became uh, become the organization of the opportunists uh, have been hijacked by the African opportunists who become a leaders who do not serve the African people, who become a leaders do not have interest of the African people, who become leaders who are enemies to their own citizens that give the outsiders access to attack the people of Africa. So the organization have fell because they did, they did not allow the term limit in the office. You, you, the most, the African, uh, pan-African, they become rulers. They did not become leaders. There's a difference between ruler and, and leader. Leader, you serve the people. Ruler, you oppress the people. You actually set up a vacuum where you oppress and you become a dictator. When you become a dictator, you actually defend on the army. So that's actually the mistake that has been made by the pan-Africanism. And, and in the good example are the people like Robert Mugabe, people like um, uh, 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 Mr. Finn in Uganda, and many others, people like Kwame. If you come and pass on the play to the next generation and train the next generation, I think that Pan-Africanism will work. But what happened? The Pan-Africans, they never trained the youth. They never trained the generation. They never taught out what Pan-Africanism really means. We didn't know. You got, to find, you got to work on your way up to know what it means. In the meantime, those mistakes, we have learned that they need to be corrected. We need what they call the reform in our Pan-Africanism. The reform that there's nothing wrong to have a woman right in the organization. There is nothing wrong to have a woman voice in the organization. There is nothing wrong to feed your own people. You don't need to, to starve your own citizen so you can use the food as a tool of war to love you or to worship you. We believe the essential part of our organization is to serve the people by giving them food that they need, giving them education that they need, giving them medicine that they need, make them to be independent so they can speak freely. So what happened in Africa, in African continent, especially the Pan-Africanist individual that actually formed this in 1960, they become so ruthless to their own citizens, and their own citizens become so entitled to them because they do not serve the people. They serve themselves, they serve their relatives, they serve their cousins. They actually even love to work with outsiders like North Africa, and the North African took advantage of them. Uh, Gaddafi uh, in Libya took advantage of them. Uh, the Jamal of the Nas in Egypt took advantage of them. And actually, the Jamal of the Nas and Nas Rui, actually, they were Arab uh, elite who worked for the Arab project as gift 
them more leeway to take over Africa continent and take over the African Union, and they are the one actually have to make the rules how Africa should go and how who should speak in Africa, who not who should not speak in Africa. Those are the issues that actually destroy the Pan Africanism. And we believe now in Pan Africa, we are talking about it. We got to make sure that our leadership have to have a term limit, and our leadership must train the youth about what it means. We have to set up an institution in which we are going to teach the history of the struggle of the African people. We got, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you choose the food you want to eat. You cannot just eat any food. You cannot also go to hospital and just bring any medicine or give the any medicine. No, you got to, doctor have to tell what medicine would you have if you are sick. So we believe that we have to choose what kind of education is benefit to our children, to our community. And that's why we believe in that education. That's why I believe that the quick democratic is going to make that happen. And we are going to change the term limit in the office from the national label to the state label to the, uh, actually to the district label. Because we believe that the people of Africa have to board you in and board you out. That is how it's different between socialism and also what would be so could be the democratic system. What happened in Africa, and I want to share this with you, democracy was in Africa then. It was not new. Africans have a say. We did not adopt this from the, from the West. That has been the African culture, that African people have led by the women, were not led by the men only. The women have been ahead of the leadership in the Kushite land, in the Kush kingdomship. The, leaders, the, the queen, they were actually the leaders, and they led the army, in which actually one time in 1701 B.C. actually liberated the, the, the Jerusalem, who was attacked by Assyrians. There was a woman actually led the mission. So what I want to say is this, that if we cannot give our women a voice in the organization, we are failed, because you cannot build a house only by a man without a woman. So what happened in the African Union right now and the African continent, the only a man is the one actually have a say in the organization, and that Pan-Africa is not working, and that's why we actually want to do what they call a reform, that it will educate the youth and make sure that the United States of Africa has to be done through negotiation and dialogue and opinion to have more opinion within the organization, how we can move forward. But one man cannot build a continent. One man cannot predict the, uh, how the Africa is supposed to be built. I think we, the people of Africa, can have a dialogue and discussion through the institution, through other organizations, through the governmental government that actually engage the people in the ground and make sure they have to be treated fairly. That's what we believe in. And your position on socialism, Brother Dean? Socialism, actually, you've got to compare how many countries have been successful in African governed by socialism. That's another question that we need to understand to compare that. What I have learned so far is that our leaders who actually govern by one man party, one man rule, they never put African forward. And that, I don't know, is that socialism or that democraticism? What I believe is that we need to give a right to the people of the African citizen to make choices, uh, to decide what future they want to see the continent, what future they need to see their own country. And I think we have to do that by engaging them and have a dialogue. I don't know, is that socialism? Is that democratic system? I don't have to elaborate that, but I believe the, our people have to have a say in the Constitution, they have a say in how we can move forward as African people, and that actually could define, and most important, we must serve them, not to rule them. Difference between rule and serving. 
will be able to tell the people. Okay, listen audience, and if you use the comments, please call 323-679-0841 and hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. Right now, we now we turn the mic over to Brother Haki. The mic is yours. Yeah, thanks, Brother Africa. Uh, Brother, Brother Dane, uh, the question in terms of socialism, uh, you know, it seems to me that one thing is very, very clear. Capitalism certainly hasn't, certainly hasn't helped Africa. Uh, but when you look at the social situations around the world, in particular the Scandinavian nations, they're among the most healthiest, some of the uh, um, most well-fed, uh, some of the most educated people in the world, some of the happiest people in the world. So clearly socialism has a lot to offer. And so clearly socialism has to be the way for Africa because capitalism is simply not an alternative. And that's the bottom line. But my question is this. There's a general Warheiser uh, for the Senate Armed Services Committee. He viewed Russia in terms of the relationship with the Central African Republic. And he found that Russia's been in the forefront in terms of facilitating, you know, um, peace among the various components, the various uh, proponents, uh, you know, of a, of a change in the, in the Central African Republic. And as such, they've been very, very successful in terms of bringing very diverse groups together in terms of bringing about peace. And as a consequence, they've been able to facilitate real trade between the Central African Republic and Russia. And my question to you is that given that you need, uh, you, have to, you have to have trade with somebody, uh, do you think you see Russia as a viable partner in terms of trade? That's my question. Can, uh, can you repeat that, the last one? Okay. Uh, do you see Russia being a viable partner in terms of trade? Okay. Uh, well, uh, thank you for that question, Brother Aki. Uh, I think um, Russia never been and has not been. Russia was there to seek the resources of the African to take them by exchanging, uh, by giving the authoritarian rulers a gun to kill themselves. That is not a good trade. When you're throwing the gun to the country, when people can kill themselves, exchange by mineral, exchange by oil, Change by gold, take them back to Russia. I think that is not a good trade. Uh, and that is the issue in Central Africa Republic. Uh, also, the Russia, they were able to have a say in that country because actually they were invited by the, uh, the Islamists who was, were trained by the Khartoum elite. Actually, one of the men who actually started trouble in Central Africa Republic was ambassador to Khartoum. And then it was absolutely a Christian or African traditional belief. And then soon as soon as it got to Khartoum, it had been converted to Islam. And then it created the militant movement, guerrilla, that have to fight back by dividing African uh, religious line between Christian and Muslim. Well, African, they're African. They should not be divided by any faith. If you have a faith, that is your own. It should be your own private uh, faith or your own private matter, how you worship, it shouldn't matter to people of Africa. What happened was the Islamic militant engaged by the Khartoum government, who actually, Khartoum want to be the hegemony of the Africa by invading Africa, by using uh, guerrillas and insurgency that they can be able to destabilize the countries of East Africa and across, uh, and as well as West and as the South. That's how you're seeing 
Russia was able to uh, engage because Russia came through the Arab League and came through the Northern African Organization. It did not come truly directly from African and, uh, indigenous, come from the different leaders I mentioned. And that's why uh, Russia is bringing guns for these individuals to kill themselves because it doesn't matter to Russia, it does not matter to him the human rights. What matters to Russia is for what he can get from these people. That's why the war in Central Africa Republic have been an issue, and that's why Russia was able to get a chance uh, to get in. And I believe uh, Russia, because as long as Russia could be able to support people by creating a vacuum of, of, of guerrillas and, and, and militants, uh, that is not helping Africans. Uh, we should not uh, invest by bringing guns to Africa. We should invest by bringing technology to Africa. That's the investment I want to see. Uh, businesses, uh, how we can be able to trade in a fair trade, not to disadvantage. Majority of Africa who do not, we never see a yellow person before or a white person before. Majority of Africa never seen somebody white. I want to share this with you to understand this, within Central Africa Republic, within Congo. And these people, when they see a different stranger in the land, they, 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 they turn to worship that individual. And that has been a psychological problem by the African leaders and by the African people. Who could make them aware is the people who live outside, like me, that that is a human being, is not, you should not worship that individual. If you come to your land, he's a human, uh, human being just like you. He'd have to have a different color than you. But he just have the same mind, the same hand, the same leg, the same thinking as God has given you. Making you black or making you African does not make you inhumane or deshuman. It makes you strong. So these are the things that need to be taught in the school, in an African gathering. And no one has done that because the African elite themselves, they are fearful psychologically. And that brought the vacuum of the outside and take advantage of the understanding of African people. So Russia is not a partner because Russia never stand up for humanity. If anybody does not stand up for humanity, my brother, my brothers and sisters who are listening tonight, it should not be our friend. We should be able to champion for humanity because our humanity has been violated. And that is the reason for us to stand up to be a champion of our humanity. Because the only race in this world have been enslaved are the African people. And because we have been enslaved, we have to stand up what they call to be anti-slavery. And make sure that we are actually pro-humanity. Wherever you may, we have to stand up for it. So as long as we have a nation who wants to work with us, does not respect our humanity, that nation is not our partner. Okay, uh, unrelated question. Uh, in your in your book, you talk about some uh, conflict between the Chinese workers and uh, in East Africa and the indigenous uh, African population. Did you talk about that? Yes. Yes. Uh, thank you for the question. Actually, um, we very much uh, like uh, I've been mentioning it uh, in the books. Chinese. Uh, uh, Contracts and the companies who pure into Africa, especially in Sudan and South Sudan, have done a great damage to the environmental uh, in the country that create a situation where the women uh, could not give the birth. And the animal, as soon as they can drink in the water, 
which is the Nile Valley that we share all of us, the, the, the animal and the people, they actually die because most of the uh, water have been poisoned by the oil that mismanaged uh, by the Chinese. And the Chinese did it intentionally to depopulate the African people. And that was actually well planned by the Chinese and the Arab North. The Arab North do not want to see the African population. They only wish for African to die. They only wish for African to suffer. They only wish for African to have a lack of food. That is the, the thing that they've been praying for for a long, as long as they went and they engaged Chinese. Because of the Chinese, they were invited by by the Northern African, because, because they have been a coalition of the Northern Africa. The example, the Sudan uh, government today, and the Algeria, and uh, Egypt, Libya, and the rest of Tunisia, these are the, actually they've been working with Chinese for a long, for a long time. So when Chinese actually move in, they move in through the North Africa. When they got in, they have uh, a special contract that they can do to abuse the African, and the Chinese become the new colonial of African today, because the Chinese took advantage of the colonial have been done by by done by European, and the Chinese believe as long you are blue or you look blue or you look yellow, you absolutely African will be fearful on you because you will be superior, you'll be inferior to them. Chinese have took advantage by using that color using African and become a, they become so involved by bringing their own employees and bringing their own uh, constructed, which actually they don't allow African to work in any job that they actually assign. So these are the issues that are affecting Africans, and the Chinese actually, they're doing this to sexual abuse the women of Africans. And they believe within 20 years from now, 50 years from now, they will have a Chinese population, African, which will be turn the African over to Asian uh, continent. These are the plans have been put in place. And these are the issues we believe that as the African people, we need to wake up and confront the Chinese. We cannot allow them to be another Arab who invade the North Africa and depopulate the entire African by enslaving them and move in. Now we have a Chinese who are coming in to abuse the people of Africa, called the monkeys in that land. Recently, there was a Kenya president was was called by Chinese man monkey, Yoro uh, 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 Kenyatta. It was actually uh, called a monkey recently, and nothing has been done. It was Chinese was the part to go back to China, and this should not happen. But what happened was Chinese they become disrespectful to our citizens become misbehaved in the continent, and it's a time for us to look at this issue and look for the entrance what Chinese are there for. Do are there to do what? They are there to invest, they are there to, but we believe in Africa today because most of us who travel to Africa live and come back, most of us who have relatives in the ground, most of us who have team leaders in the ground, they believe that these people, they're coming to invade Africa, they did not come to work in Africa. And this is the issue they should bring to attention of our people in the diaspora and also in the continent. And the leadership have to play a big role on this, to question the Chinese president in Africa. Okay, Brother D, we had this caller been waiting for a while. We can take this caller, 0708, caller 0708. Welcome to Africa and Moon. Your question or comment, caller. 
Call your last four number is 0708. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Uh, this is Brother Chisholm out of Jacksonville. Brother Dang, do you remember me? Talk last week. Your question, caller. Yes, we can. Um, I was just saying that um, I was researching that uh, Africa, uh, Western Africa, has a Western Sudan, Western Kush, and we're talking about the Garvey movement and uh, bringing everybody the same umbrella instead of going to the UN and the AU. Uh, just like the Arab, they have the Arab League that we should have our own African Communities League, and. Uh, the Garvey movement is a government, a provisional government, and we could uh, build from there but continentally. Most Africa is uh, either Kush or uh, Bantu, so it would be real easy to organize, and then the diaspora uh, could come in as, as well. So that's uh, just my comment. Okay, Carla, thank you. Uh, Brother Dean, would you like to respond to the comment? Oh, yes. Yes, I, I thank the caller, and I think that uh, your uh, your point is very clear. And I think yes, the, your organization to involve the the diaspora that actually we we preach uh, in one of the, our agenda here and our mission is to engage the diaspora community to involve in the continent to be aware about what's going on in the continent because we believe in the continent they belong to all of us is for the African people whether you live in Caribbean or you live in, in, in Jamaica or you live in, in Haiti or you live in uh, Colombia or in the United States. We believe we've come to the same uh, roots, and we believe that uh, we, in order for us to move forward to build a better Africa continent, we all have to engage. And I think that I believe the organization will play a big role in the continent, and we are looking forward. Is that a question and a concern? I think we can be able to answer that. And I think that uh, what is going on in, 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 in the continent is very tragic. And I want our, our people who are listening today to know that the continent needs a rescue. Uh, what I actually mentioned here is not something is a threat. It's a threat that needs all of us to to be aware about it. It's a threat that we need to address. It's a threat we need to confront. It's a threat that we need to be able to bring to public to discuss it. We cannot ignore it anymore, and I think that we've been ignoring this for too long. I've been ignored by the leader before us. I've uh, been ignored by the fan Africans before us. I was ignored by the leaders in Africa Union. They've been ignored by the historian, uh, black people, African people. And now is the time for us to act and stand up. Uh, and I think, thank you so much, and we're looking forward. Uh, anything that you guys can provide to make a better Africa and make a better United States of Africa in many ways, I think we are more welcome uh, to do that. Uh, and thank you for calling. Hi, Carl. Your response, Carl? 0708. No, I'm just, uh, just listening. Thanks uh, for taking my uh, comment and a uh, peace and blessings. Okay, thank you for your participation. Brother, Brother Haki, any other question before we move on to Brother Moses? No, we don't have much time. i to go to Brother Moses. Okay, Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Yes, um, um, you seem to have this um, simplified to where it's, it's uh, almost... Uh, 
religious ideological um, movements and versus the indigenous people, uh, the Kush and the, the Aroma, different indigenous people of Africa, and uh, you seem to say that, that that's the the essential contradiction that you want to focus on. It's uh, is the, you know the the people who've enslaved Africa more or less, uh, and uh, you seem to say that they are proxy, proxy, proxy uh, parties of of, uh, of uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, different Arab countries, and uh, I don't know. Um, um, and your your solution is uh, is is a uh, 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 united united um, another Garvey movement and uh, and uh, I'm I'm having, I'm trying to understand exactly what how you see change coming about. Am I am I characterizing your your position adequately? That's okay. the basic question. Okay. Uh, uh, how did change come about? Actually, uh, as I mentioned, that I am a candidate, and the reason I become a candidate is because I become concerned. I was a concerned citizen before I become a candidate in the community. I was an activist, and I was seeking uh, the solution. And I was also trying to identify the problems, not only the problem of South Sudanese, but the problem of Sudan and also the African and the African region and also in the continent. And what made me to stand up is um, I got to be the solution, not the problems. Uh, and I have seen a lot of mistakes have been made uh, by uh, political correctness by our own citizens and our own leaders we trust, that we trust the leaders that don't trust us. And we uh, very much support leaders that do not support our interests. That have been the journey of the African people in the continent. While I'm talking to you, I'm talking to people that uh, recently I, was, I visited more than four countries. The situation that I saw was this, it remained the same. It never changed from one country to another country. And what I have learned to become a candidate, I decide to be the change and be the solution of the con- in the country, the continent. And I want to share this with you. As you mentioned, Aroma in Ethiopia are the part of the Nilotics, uh, the Nile Valley. They call them Nilotics and are part of the Kushite community in many ways. In order for you to uh, identify the Kushite and the immigration of African people, it started in Sudan. Uh, and the immigration of humanity started in Sudan, which is Sudan today, which is the Kush, uh, to the west, to the east, to the center of Africa. Sudan is the largest country in Africa, uh, geographically, before it divided to South Sudan. And that tells you exactly if the human race begins in Kush, in Sudan, the solution also must be remain in this land. And the solution of Africa, indeed, is in Sudan. The Sudan also 
her most patriotic citizen, indigenous, who fought not only the uh, Arab war, they fought also the Adam Empire and the Egyptian Empire long, long ago. So these indigenous, the warriors, and they know what they stand for and they know what they believe in. And that's why I believe for me to lead this society by enlightening the society and the reality that we actually very much ignore. Because majority of the world here, when you, know, you heard about Sudan, you heard about, the, you heard about the civil war. There's no civil war in Sudan. The, the invaders are in Sudan. The occupiers are in Sudan. People who do not want to be African are in Sudan. Oppressing the people who want to be African and want to live up the African greatness to oppress them. In Sudan, uh, Burmese have been created as the ISIS state at the time in 1980. So in order for you to bring a solution, you have to lead the people who already are conscious about the problem of African people. Indeed, the people of Sudan are conscious. They know what was the problem of Africans. And they know that in order to confront the most threat, number one threat of Africa, are the Arab race. So the Arabia behind all this game, I want to tell you, I want my audience and the listener to understand it very careful. The Saudi Arabia agenda with the Arab League agenda, which they put the headquarter in African land, which is in Egypt. The Egypt was not supposed to be the headquarter of Arab League. The Saudi Arabia is supposed to be the headquarter of Arab League, if I'm not mistaken. But they did it to put in African land to push for the Arab agenda to invade the continent where the Saudi and the Arab League want water and they want the resources and they want the agricultural land because they cannot plant they, 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 they cannot plant the food in the desert. They need a land that is green, attractive like African land. That's why they put the, the organization to lead that Arab agenda, Arab League agenda. And Egypt has been successful by doing that. Sudan has been successful by doing that. And that's why the Africa has been in crisis since then. That's why the Sudan has been the longest war in the world. After Sudan has been in war before, even the World War Two and World War II, World War One and World War II, World War Two. I want to mention that Sudan has been in conflict in Sudan. So Sudan is not a new war. It has been a war between these Arab invaders and the African one defend themselves, resist themselves against the invasion. So I believe, being the head of this uh, nation, we can pursue the United States of Indigenous of the Sudan, which is actually we're going to put it back to original term of heritage of the African people, which we have been known biblically. Even the uh, prophet Isaiah in the Bible, in Isaiah 18, mentioned these people in the Kush, that these people live in the Nile Valley. They are dark skin. And he mentioned a lot, and he spoke highly about us. The Jewish have spoke highly about the African people, and they know them. Even Moses went to school in Africa. Even Joseph was also in Africa. So all these people, immigration, Jewish, when they left, they knew this. They, they, they knew the strength of these individuals in the Nile Valley. And because of that matter, made the Arab invaders so jealous to disconnect us from our history that have been 
put in place by the Greek, maybe even Greek mentioned this. Also, uh, Rome had mentioned the same thing as the Jews mentioned. So in order for us to do that, we need to lead the nation can be able to unify African people by knowing the, root, the number one threat in Africa. And the number one threat, our Arab League are number one threat, because actually they live in Africa, they don't live outside. Yes, European, okay, they come from outside. They have, somebody has to give them a ticket to come in. Chinese was given a visa to come to Africa. Chinese do not march like in Bora. They did not come as uh, caravan in, in, uh, who are coming to America. Chinese, they were invited by the weak African leaders to give them visas. Now today, what I'm talking, we have more than 5 million Chinese in Africa. And the question is, what are they doing there? Well, they are mission. The most criminal Chinese who have been sent by the Chinese government to go and destabilize African continent, they were sent intentionally to destabilize the continent so our people can always feel inferior to those who don't look like them. So in uh, my point, uh, my brother, the question you mentioned, indeed, we have a vision. We have laid out. We believe that the Pan-Africanism, it was a good, it was a very clear mission, but it was hijacked by those who don't love African. It was hijacked by those who we, we trust uh, at the time. And people like Nasser and Gaddafi and, and, and many others in North Africa, we trust them. And they took advantage of our, our ancestors. They took advantage of our, our founding fathers. Now is the time for us not to be taking advantage of any longer. And that's why I become the leader of the country. And I'm going to bring these issues. And I believe also that the African Union must listen very carefully for the cry of the African people. Otherwise, we are going to hold them accountable. And otherwise, we are going also to make, if we realize that the, this organization has been controlled by the Arab League, we will all form another that is going to serve the African people. If we are going to realize this is not serving us, it must be dissolved. Or got to form something with different principles, a mission, and objective, how we are going to serve the African people, not only in the country, also in the diaspora. Because when you see our people are crying, they're crying because of the lack of the leadership. Africans have a lack of the leadership. It's not the people. One time I was having a discussion with some Africans that I met from Liberia and Congo and, and, and Nigeria and many others in the various countries of Africa. We have a discussion, and they said the African people are the problem. I told them, no, not African people are the problem. The African leaders are the problem. Because Africans never have leaders, but they have the people. Because the leader is supposed to be the guidance. Leader is supposed to be the servant. Leader is supposed to be the leader. If we cannot define those vocabularies, we are not fit to lead the people of Africa. And that's what I mentioned to them. And indeed, we're using all these Africans. They, they are incapable. They cannot lead themselves because Africans cannot understand one another. This is wrong. It's the wrong concept. It's the wrong philosophy. We, can, we have to change that. And that is, we, cannot, we have been misguided. We have to educate our people, eradicate and educate our people by moving forward, by training the leaders so they can move forward to lead our people. You know, as well as Brother Moses. Well, it bothers me that he's not a socialist uh, in terms of scientific socialism that he is. Uh, I don't know. It's it's, it's um, an interesting uh, uh, program. Thank you. Hey, Brother Dean, I would like to I would like for you to respond to the question of if you become president of South Sudan and oh. you begin to talk about putting together a an economic development plan. 
and you begin to identify your allies, who is African allies, who would be your allies that you think will come and help Africa to develop? You know, uh, thank you, my brother Africa, for asking me that question. You know, brother Africa, since we've been at war in Africa, the longest war, indeed, it was the long suffering. We lost about 2.5 million, died. The world before that, we lost about 1.5 million, made up about 4 million that died for more than 50 years. This is only in Sudan, in South Sudan. And when we were looking, crying for shelter, most of our young boys, they used to be called the Lord Boy of Sudan. There were no other nation that turned to us to give us shelter except the United States. That's why I'm here talking to my brothers and sisters like you today. If I did not get a chance to come here, I wouldn't meet you. I wouldn't be talking about the fine African and way forward. I would be a dead man because most of my generation died. They didn't make it for the journey. Thank God I was safe. Now I was able to look back and try to serve and do what I can to protect the interests of the African people. And because of that matter, getting shelter and realize my potential, who I am, that I didn't know back then. I didn't know I was an African. I didn't know there was African continent. I knew that I was a village man and I had my own village, that everybody looked like me, everybody talked like me. That's all I knew. When I was exposed to the culture of slavery, opened me up to the world that I did not know, the world that my mother, my dad did not know. To that fact, we have more than four to 5,000 South Sudanese reached to the United States from 2000 all the way to 2004 to 2010. In that matter, also they were, doing the interview, there were also other Europeans opened their hand and, and, and invited us, people like Canada and Australia and so on. These actually were, you have majority of South Sudanese in Australia and in UK and in, in, in Canada. Unfortunately, the Arab did not open their hand to, in, to invite us to the Middle East. Unfortunately, the Chinese did not invite us. Unfortunately, Russia did not invite us. So you kind of think about those who give you the shelter at the time to become someone to realize your dream. And most importantly, I was able to connect with my ancestors and my brothers and sisters have been enslaved 400 years ago who've been taken away from motherland to become a part of the community. Until today, I've become a part of the society that's been here for more than 400 years ago. And our situation is not different. It's the same situation, it's the same journey, the same struggle, we all look alike, we all eat alike, we all think alike, we all struggle alike, we all cry alike. And that fact, I believe that I have to work with my brothers and sisters and the country that holds my brothers and sisters, whether in Jamaica, whether in Cuba, whether in Colombia, whether in Canada, whether in there where I can meet my people that look like me, people that talk like me, people that cry like me, that I can cry where we can cry together and actually help each other by working for our unity. I will not work with a nation that do not sponsor my people. I will not work with Chinese who never have a single black man during the time of war. By when there's a time of development when we try, we gain our independence, and now they're coming in to jump in, 
try to pretend like they are there to help us. No, you are not there to help me because you never give me the shelter when I needed to. That is the facts and that is the reality. When I need shelter, Arab League did not invite us. They did not even brought the aid to feed us when we need aid. The Chinese did not aid when we needed it. The Russians did not bring the aid when we needed it. But indeed, the same Europeans that we don't let brought the aid to us. Not only the broad aid, they give us shelter to Libya and which one we're going to go back when we wanted to. That to me, I think, is a humanity perspective, and I have to respect that. And to that matter, in my government, we are going to put application where we're going to put our policies in place, where our policies have to be respected, how we can engage for those who are coming to invest, and we are not going to discriminate those who are willing to work with us, but they are going to work for the interests of African people and also to make fair contracts that you're going to work with me because South Sudan is the largest country can produce the oil in entire Africa. South Sudan have more oil than Saudi Arabia. That world do not know this. I want to tell you the right now to understand. The South Sudanese have more oil than the Saudi Arabia. And that can t- and South Sudan have the uranium and gold and 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 and, and other resources that are available in the country. So in that matter, I believe we're going to engage people that host our citizens, uh, people that now I can meet like a border call today in, in, in the phone call and say, okay, we are the Gabi organization. We try to engage our diaspora. If I go to China, I will not find the Gabi organization, but when I come to America, I can find one. And that's why a border was calling in. These are the people I'm interested in to work with them. So they can go back and help me how we can settle, how we can work our continent uh, to move forward as a continent and uh, development, agriculture, education, institution, because really our people need a self reliant education. They need a country's education because our people are not aware about themselves. They are not aware about their history. And I believe the uh, people in America today, the black folk in America, the African American, they have historical background. They know how they can teach people in Africa. They know how they can realize their history. And I learned this because I was here. I went to school here. I work with African-American studies. I learn a lot in African-American studies. I work with African scholars, people like Dr. Malafa Shanti. I work with so many others. That what made me to be so conscious enough and define myself as a pan-African leader that can go and lead the people to realize their potential and their culture and to know that we cannot allow the, the, those anti-African, anti-black to to destroy our history, that we actually made the world history of African people. We were the civilized people. We have the civilization our continent, and we actually brought the, 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 the human race. And this is the fact that we need to teach, and the, the, we are going to make sure that as long as we have leaders like those, Malafa Shanti, like those like you on the phone today, and the African uh, on the MOVE radio, that it can move us forward, these are the things that I'm, I'm interested in to engage them in the development of their country as a leader. Brother Dean, my last question for the night, and we're going to be closing out. I would like for you to speak to the issue where one goes to your website and one reads your, 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 your biography. One will come to ask the question, will there be a conflict of interest if you became president of South Sudan and at the same time, you, have, you are a U.S. citizen. Will those two dynamics into a, a area of conflict of interest? Okay. Well, thank you for that question. 
Well, uh, as a citizen of the country, uh, U.S. citizen, uh, I became a part of this community. Uh, in many ways, I became a citizen in 2005. Uh, I believe that being a citizen here is like being an African and American and being a citizen. And I'm so fortunate and, and thankful that at least I was accommodated to become a citizen where my own country back then denied me not to be a citizen of the country. I was I was a slave in my country. And when I got here, I became a citizen. And that have no uh, effects or any conflict of interest for going to serve my own citizen. I don't think there's any conflict of interest at all. Uh, what I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve the people of Africa. And indeed, I was raised in America, and I have uh, not worked in America. I have a friend in America. I have family in America. But it doesn't mean that that will take away uh, my loyalty to my people in Africa. And that's why I decided to be a candidate. Also, the American people do not have any uh, say when it comes to those issues, because my issues being in, in going back to Africa to show my people, uh, it means that I have to protect and save the lives of innocent people in Africa. And I think that to this point, there's no annual concern when it comes to this because very much I am loyal to the humanity of people and I'm standing up for the humanity. And I don't think that America will be against humanity to save my own citizens and protect them from being mass grave by genocidal government or by genocidal Arab invaders who Islamic invaders who convert the African. Uh, to Islam by creating a bastion of the African complex by the African who see themselves as Arab and Africans who see themselves as African. That will not happen in my leadership, and I don't think that is going to be the issue, uh, my brother Akim, and thank you for the my brother uh, uh, Africa, and thank you for that question. Well, panelists, and then we have let you have the final say, Brother Dean. Brother Anthony, anything else you'd like to say before we close out tonight? Um, yes, uh, Pan-Africanism is a necessary and ultimate solution to, to, to our problems of oppression throughout the world. Brother Moses, anything you'd like to say in your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Moses? Well, I think, you know, the brother needs to study scientific socialism. And, and and come to an understanding of socialism from that standpoint. Uh, well, I'll just leave it there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Rose. Brother Hackey, final thoughts for the night? Yeah, I just want to thank Brother uh, Guy for some very uh, provocative uh, stances. And so we really appreciate that because we have these kind of discussions. It's very, very important for the future of Africa. Um, but uh, having said that, Brother Africa, I'm just wondering if Brother Dane could give us the address for his book. We need to get the address, how to get in touch with your book, your website, Brother Dane, and how can they support you for those who may want to support your effort. Yes, uh, we have a website called uh, Quick Democratic Majority Party, Bulgai for President, and so uh, Quick Democratic Majority Party is a website. If you want to support the campaign, you can go to GoFundMe. It's there in the website donation. And also uh, we have books, uh, uh, the African, uh, the Lovers of Africa Freedom Fighter is a book that on Amazon also you can order online, and I can send, I can send you the link for the Africa. You can share with the networks. 
uh, and also are we looking forward for an engagement for things like this? And I'm looking forward always to engage uh, African people for the issues that matter to our citizens. And uh, very much in conclusion, I want to tell you that uh, the cry of African uh, here in America, in other words, I think is our cry, and we have to unite, have a unified voice uh, to stand up for what is right and to defend our humanity. And there's no question about it. In my mind, we can achieve when we unite. And thank you. Okay, Brother Jane, we'd like to thank you for sharing your experiences and your perspectives on your struggle, your perspectives on the issue of South Sudan, and your perspective on how to move Africa forward. We thank you. And to our listening audience, we'd like to thank you as well for your participation and calling in, listening in, and being a supporter of Africa on the move. You can hear this program every Sunday from 7 to 9 p.m. This is a Pan-African talk show. We bring on issues and views that affects and impact African people and the African world. The views you are here tonight are strictly the views of our guests. And if you have any comments, you're always welcome to write us at Africa on the move to at Gmail. Until next time, let's always strive to go forward, ever, backwards, never. We'll see you next week. This has been Africa on the move.
gente.